Well, good morning. Um, I'm so glad you guys are here. <clears throat> Welcome. Um, my name is Ron. I'm a pastor up in Prescott, Arizona. Um, but uh, I was on staff here almost a, a decade ago, actually over a decade ago. And so when I get to come back a, a time or two a year, it's always just like home. And so uh, I'm so glad that, that you're here joining us. We just want you to feel like you're a part of the family as quickly as possible. And uh, same for those of you maybe that are watching from Santan or Scottsdale campuses. Hope that you can dive in and feel a part of the family as well or watching online or maybe at the five o'clock. We're all one big family here and uh, this is a good day for, for all of us to be together. Um, I was just at a, at a Starbucks. I'm still disturbed by it. I saw this kid it was a baby, but it had the biggest head I've ever seen in my entire life. I mean, the kid's head was enormous. It had planets orbiting around its head. There was a gravity to it that was pulling me in, and I was blown away by this little guy. And there was a mom, you know, just this young mom that was holding her little boy there. And, you know, there's like five or six of us in line uh, at Starbucks waiting to get our drink, and she's waiting. But we're totally entertained because this kid was trying to headbutt his mom. And he would lean back, which would almost topple her over, and then he'd get the momentum going the other way and whew, try to get her. And, and we were just fascinated. We were like, is, is Super Mommy going to win or is like Boulder Brain going to win? Which one <laughs> is going to pull this off? And, and he would lean back and go for her, but she was super quick. She was whew, 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 dodging it back and forth. She'd kind of had enough, and she needed to kind of figure out what she was going to order. So she just put a hand up for a moment, and that didn't stop him. He leaned back and kept headbutting the mom's hand. Now, all of us are just kind of waiting for one particular moment. None of us were, were saying it out loud, but we wanted to see her connect uh, with, with him. We wanted to see his giant melon crush her jaw. Uh, we wanted tears, we wanted blood, we wanted something good. We wouldn't say it out loud, especially if you're Christian, but you think it, you do. <laughs> We're waiting for it, and, and she pauses for just a moment to place her order, and uh, he leans back and boom, clobbers her. And this crack you could hear around the planet, his planet and then the planet. It was amazing, and everybody in line went, ooh, yeah. And we were excited. The mom didn't like it. Um, her face just scrunched up, and she, you could see her grip just get down into that little boy. And she looked at that little boy, and her eyes began to shoot fire out toward this. Her. She said, you just hurt mommy. Stop headbutting mommy. Stop it. And that, that boy, his face just also scrunched up. He went, <laughs> okay, I'm sorry. I, I won't headbutt mommy. She said, good, enough headbutting mommy. You, you hurt mommy, stop it. He said, okay, I won't headbutt mommy again. She said, good. She turned to place her order. He leaned back and whoosh, clobbered her. And I'm watching this whole thing play out, and it's so, it's so like us to keep 
banging our heads against the same thing over and over and over and over again. There's, there's so many things that you and I both know are, are not good for us. Uh, they're not good for other people. There's times where you even get a sense that what you're doing is not good even for your relationship with God. And yet for some reason or another, like gravity, there's this magnetic pull toward it and you just can't seem to, to stop it. It really becomes almost addiction level for you. Now, while we could talk about a number of, of sins in that category that can entangle us, um, what I want to talk to you about today is something that's, that's very magnetic and, and addictive that I think is killing us, and I think it's busyness. I think in our culture today, busyness has become an addiction. Uh, motion, constant motion, perpetual motion has become uh, an addiction, and I believe that it's hurting you. I believe it's hurting me. I believe it's hurting people around us. I believe it's hurting uh, our mission that we are called to be on as followers of Jesus. I believe it's, it's wrecking an awful lot of our relationship uh, with Jesus himself. There are real uh, addictive properties to busyness. If you look just at your life and your family or your school or your friends or your workplace and there's an awful lot that's going on around you that just kind of forces you to, to keep up with this crazy pace that, that's around us. If you stop long enough just to look at your phone, your phone is a constant reminder of how busy your life is. A recent study said that the average person, now depending on the, the demographic age group that you fall into, checks your phone 74 times a day. But other demographics, it's, it's as much as 74 times an hour. Uh, doctors are saying there's something when you look at your phone called a dopamine squirt. Sounds disgusting, but what's taking place? It happens in here. And when you look at your phone, there's a brief release of dopamine, there's this adrenaline-like feel when your phone dings or a notification comes in or a text message or whatever, and the dopamine that's released once is nothing. Um, but multiple times an hour, multiple times a day, it becomes addictive. And this pace that we are running right now, is, it's not sustainable. And there's so much at stake I'm trying to even learn it and figure it out, how to get back to a place of living out what the psalmist said in Psalm 46, verse 10. He says, be still and know that I am God. I, I don't know, I don't know how to be still. Our culture doesn't know how to be still. I don't know how to slow down and quiet my life long enough so that I can get to know God for real. A friend of mine was talking, he said you could almost invert that phrase, be still and know that I am God, and learn something too, that when you know God fully, for real, I believe you will be still. That there is something about quieting ourselves before God and learning uh, the discipline and the habit of, of, of seeking God in quiet, solitary places that is so crucial for you getting through your life. 
I know that busyness, there's some stuff you just can't avoid, but I believe you and I can avoid having a busy heart. There's a lot of circumstances around us that are out of our control, but we can learn what it is to be still inside, regardless of what's going on outside. And Jesus is our model for that. Uh, Jesus has uh, uh, so much to teach us. When you look through the Gospels and his, his life, is an example that we should follow in his steps. And there's a day in the life of Jesus that I wanna, I wanna look at today. And uh, you, you think about Jesus and you go, well, I don't know if he would have had that busy a life. I mean, he just sat around and prayed and ate fish and hung out with 12 guys and that was kinda it. And if that's all it was, then yeah, it wouldn't have been that stressful. But most of you know, it, his life wasn't uh, free of, of busyness and yet, for the, the things that Jesus was accused of being, busy wasn't one of them. And I'm fascinated by that because he lived a full life, but he seemed to go through it real intentionally and, and not so flustered regardless of how much he was uh, seeing and experiencing and, and doing. Mark chapter one, if you have your Bible, is this, this day in the life of Jesus that, that I think is a very full day. Some would argue is a busy day. And yet how he gets through it here is so instructive for, for me and you. Mark chapter one, it's early in his ministry. And he goes into this place called Capernaum. He goes into the city of Capernaum and he ventures into a synagogue. He goes into the city to, uh, to teach into this, this synagogue. And that was kind of the custom then, that multiple people could get up and begin to teach the scriptures. And, and he took advantage of the opportunity, and he teaches throughout the day in the synagogue. That in and of itself would be a, a long day, a, a tiring day. But in the middle of this particular day of teaching, Mark records that there's a man who's possessed by a demon stands up in the middle of his teaching which I'm hoping is not going to happen here in this hour. But he's teaching, and this demon-possessed guy stands up and begins making a whole lot of noise, creating a whole lot of distraction. And when Jesus speaks up, he speaks directly to this man possessed by the demon, and he says, be quiet. Now, I don't want to take the scriptures too far here, but I just find it super interesting that the enemy is totally fine with noise and distraction and accusations and all this angst and, and diversion. But God, when he speaks to that, he speaks, shut up, be quiet, be still. And he casts the demon out of this man. And then he continues on teaching. And that would be enough for a pretty full day. Uh, you, you teach all day, you cast out a demon, that's a full day. He heads home with some of his disciples back to one of their mother-in-law's houses, and that's where we pick up here, Mark chapter 1. Look at verse 29. As soon as they left the synagogue, they went with James and John to the home of Simon, that's Peter, and Andrew. Simon's mother-in-law was in bed with a fever and they immediately told Jesus about her. So first century, still mother-in-law problems. Um, so Jesus went to her, took her hand, helped her up, 
The fever left her, and then she began to wait on them. And this just blows me away, too, because if I'd had a day like he's already had, I just want to get home and kick my feet up on a sheep or whatever and relax. They get back to, to Peter's mother-in-law's house and sit down and, oh, I am so sorry, Jesus, but um, my mother-in-law, she's not feeling well. And Jesus gets up and does what Jesus does, and he goes over and he heals her of the fever. Oh, okay. You ever had those moments? You had a super long day, and then you get home, and then there's another lap there that you got to run. There's, you know, something now that happened throughout the day that you got to put out that fire. You got to deal with this situation or whatever. It's not exactly what you, when you get home, you just kind of want to just zone out, relax, stop. Jesus knows what that's like. He gets back to the home and he's got to deal with something. Then it's finally like, okay, wow, that was, a, that was a long day. That was crazy. Remember the teaching and remember the demon-possessed guy? And then now the mother-in-law, okay, wow, that's, that's a long one. And then look what happens, verse 32. That evening after sunset, so the people are now freed from Sabbath restrictions. That evening after sunset, the people brought to Jesus all the sick and demon-possessed. Hollywood is outside the door. Verse 33, the whole town gathered at the door and Jesus healed many who had various diseases. He also drove out many demons, but he would not let the demons speak because they knew who he was. I've taught all day, cast out a demon from a guy, got back to the house here, healed my friend's mother-in-law. He sits down. Oh, man. Pete, could you get that? Because I'm kind of tired. I'm wiped out. Yeah, sure, I'll get that. Who is it, Pete? I think it's everybody. <laughs> and none of them look very good. And Jesus, if, if I'm Jesus at that point, I, I get back up and I go in the back room and I crawl into the fetal position under some bed or desk or something and just try to shut off. I don't want to do any more. But again, Jesus does what he does. He gets up, he puts the needs of others before himself, and, and he goes to work on these people. And, and we don't know how long it took, but the nature of what he's dealing with here and how many people were here, I'm sure this went on into the wee hours of the morning. That's a long day. Some would argue that's a very, very busy day. Well, eventually he's, he's seen the last person and he goes back into the house and he falls asleep. And after a day like that, pressing into an evening like that, what he does next is, I'm going to tell you right now, not my first response of what I would do. What Jesus does after a day like that and an evening like that is almost mind-blowing to me, and yet I think it is the real key and the real secret that Jesus had for getting through a full list for his days, uh, getting through a busy life without going absolutely crazy, at keeping his heart settled, even though what he was seeing and experiencing and dealing with every single day was anything but settled. And in verse 35, after that crazy day and night, this is what he does. Mark says, very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, 
and went off to a solitary place where he prayed. Jesus knew that, that the only way that he was going to be able to, to get through a crazy busy life was to, to spend time in solitary prayer. Jesus knew that, that a busy life should drive him toward prayer, not away from it. But if I'm real honest, the busier my days get, the busier my life is, I find myself shoving God and his word and prayer off my list first. Because God doesn't argue when I don't pray. He doesn't whine back at me. He doesn't break down if I don't connect with him. And it just makes it extra easy for me not to. I fill my life up with so much crazy stuff. And Jesus' example here is be still. Jesus' example is you've had a crazy full day, so you better get up extra early the next morning to spend time with the only one who can refresh you and rejuvenate you and settle you and strengthen you and guide you and direct you. He's the only one that's going to help you recover from the day or days before. He's the only one that can really clue you in on what you should be doing that next day or the days after that. And so he had a regular practice of praying, which to me is just such a it's kind of a humbling moment. It's, a, it's an odd sort of moment just to be reminded that if, if Jesus, the Son of Almighty God, needed to and desired to spend consistent time alone and in prayer to the Father, how much more so should I? And so he, he did it as a regular practice. He was intentional here about doing it after a crazy season. He knew that the Father would refresh him, but he also made it a practice of being intentional about being alone and praying before he anticipated something crazy coming up. Remember the Garden of Gethsemane, before he's going to go to the cross, he knows what's to come and what's his response. I better get away to go pray. I better quiet myself. I, I need strength. I need comfort. And he needed to seek the will of the Father. And I think that's why that was such a regular part of his world and his life that he had just as much going on as we do. But I think he had a better time prioritizing because he was constantly asking the Father, should I do this? Should I not do that? And, and, and the Father would minister to him in his humanity there while he was on earth. And he'll do the same thing with us if we develop a, a real practice of, of being solitary. I hardly even know what solitary is because I have a 10-year-old and a 9-year-old and a 2-year-old. And, and so solitary doesn't happen unless I make it happen. I love my kids with everything in me, but but three quarters of my days that I wake up, it's my two-year-old prying my eyelids open saying, Daddy, the sun's awake, the sun's awake. That's how I wake up. 
And those of you that are, that are parents or were parents, you know what that season is like. It's very difficult to find solitary time. And so you may have to get up at 1 a.m. to find it or wait up till 1 a.m. to find it. But it's a little counterintuitive. You go, I need my sleep. I agree. But what you're saying here is, is Jesus modeling for us that something that the Lord can only provide is going to serve you better than an extra hour of sleep, an extra 30 minutes of sleep. And so to be proactive in getting away from the crowd, getting away from the noise, finding solitude and isolation on a regular basis so that you can pray so that you can be refreshed and rejuvenated. You can dive into his word. You can seek him in prayer and listen and see what he does for you. Jesus did that. Sometime later, we don't know when, Simon and his companions wake up. Jesus isn't there. And I love this. This is so classic. This could be ripped from the pages of 2016. Simon and his companions went to look for him. And when they found him, they exclaimed, everyone is looking for you. And translated, you, you were a big hit yesterday. Everybody loved you in Capernaum. The teaching was awesome, casting out the demon thing, that was really cool. And then remember when Hollywood is outside the door and you healed everybody, they love you. And you know that you just always go where you're loved, where you're needed. There's a big thing for us here. Most of us love the idea of everyone is looking for you. And that's what contributes to the busyness and the addiction. We, we love to feel like we're needed. We love to feel like we're wanted. That's why we check our phones 74 times an hour. Because every ding and every buzz and every moment there, the phone's telling you something, somebody might be interested in you. Oh, somebody liked me. Oh, somebody liked me. Oh, somebody's following me. Oh, somebody. And then all of that, it just builds this exhausting sort of life that we're keeping up with. But we love that everybody's looking for us. But the issue is, is, is that when we get to that place, where, where everybody's looking for us, it, it's very easy then for you and I to get to a spot where now I got to do what everybody else wants me to do. I know that you probably wake up with your list for the day. You wake up with a pretty good list. I know I need to do this. These are some things I want to do. Oftentimes your day is full right when you wake up. And if it's not full, then I can guarantee you that someone else will fill it up for you if you let them. You go to work, you go to school, you got friends, you got family, and if you just kind of jump in the, the current of that river, it, it's going to take you where they want you to go. But we get so wrapped up in what's on my list for the day and what everybody else has on my list for the day that oftentimes we miss what God had on your list for the day. Do we stop long enough to, to pray and seek him? Lord, I don't want to miss you today. I don't want to miss the mission that you've got for me today. So what is it that you've got on my list for the day? What, what is it? It reminds me of a story I heard a really long time ago where this woman has this wheelbarrow 
And Jesus shows up and gives her one brick and puts the brick in her wheelbarrow and says, all I need you to do today is take this one brick in your wheelbarrow up to the top of that mountain. And the woman looks up and it's several miles to the top, lots of switchbacks, twists and turns, but it's just one brick and she has a wheelbarrow. She says, that's all I need. And she says, I could do that. And she starts up the hill, pushing her wheelbarrow with her one brick, and she gets three, four turns up the road and finds a guy stopped there, and he's pulled out into a turnout with his wheelbarrow. He's got two bricks in his wheelbarrow. He's sweating a little bit. And the woman says, are you doing okay? He says, no, I'm not actually. Would you do me a favor? Uh, Would you mind? I got to get these bricks to the top of the hill today. Would you mind if you just take them up for me? It's just two bricks and you got plenty of room in here. And so she says, yeah, sure, whatever. And he loads uh, his two bricks into her wheelbarrow. Now she's pulling, pushing the three bricks up the hill. Couple turns up, gets around another turnout. And here's another person and they're standing there. They got three, four bricks of their own. Oh, I'm so tired. I can't get to the top. It's too much load for me to carry. You mind if I just put my bricks in your wheelbarrow if you're heading up the same direction? I want to help you. I want to help you. So yeah, sure, whatever. Load them in. And now she's got it more than she had at the beginning. She's pushing this load of bricks up. Every few turns, another, another group of per- people, they pile more bricks in. And as you first see, she's now halfway up the mountain and she can't push anymore because her wheelbarrow is full of bricks. She's wiped out. She's exhausted. She pulls over into her own turnout. Jesus shows up and says, what what are you doing? She said, well, I I don't know. I'm so exhausted. I can't even make it anymore. Look at all these bricks I got to carry up there. Everybody else, you know, they're they're, they're giving me all this stuff to carry up. And I'm just trying to help people. And I can't do this. I'm upset at at these people. Jesus, I'm, you know, upset at you. Where have you been in the midst of all this stuff? And Jesus goes, whoa, 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 wait a minute. I only asked you to carry one brick up this hill today. That's all I asked. The rest of the stuff you've taken on yourself. And and I I see that in myself so much. I don't even stop long enough to process through, God, what what is on your list for me today? What, What do you have for me? And so it's a real skill, it's a discipline, it's a habit that I'm trying to learn from Jesus by going to him in prayer and saying, I, I want to know what you've got for me. Because I don't think he leads us into stressful waters when we're walking with him. He leads us by still waters. He calms our heart and our soul. He's not going to make it more and more busy. And, and so to, to follow the example of Jesus here, I, I love what happens next. He He's off praying. They say everyone's looking for you. In verse 38, Jesus replied, no, let us go somewhere else to the nearby villages so I can preach there also. That is why I have come. What I think happened is is when Jesus was there praying with the Father that early morning, some of it was refreshment. Some of it was comfort and encouragement that he was seeking from his Father. But I think he was also seeking direction what should I do today? I want to be about the mission that you've got for me. And I don't want to miss what you have for me. And I think the father probably spoke real loud and clear. I I, I need you to go to the villages today. 
and villages here is different from Capernaum. This is saying we're not going to downtown Phoenix. We're going to go to Yuma. We're not going to Scottsdale. We're going to Chino Valley. If you don't know where Chino Valley is, don't worry about it. (laughs) But sometimes God calls you to places that are the complete opposite of where you would go or where everybody else tells you you should go. Where God calls you is often to outlying places or outlying people or to live an outlying different sort of life. And in this particular case, he heads off in obedience to the villages. And if you kept reading this story, you'd find that he comes across one individual, a leper, that needed to be healed. See, the day before, it had been all about the crowds. But the next day, what the Father had for him was one person. And and you don't want to miss either. You don't want to miss if God says, I I need you to change your whole profession. I I I don't think you want to miss If God, when you seek him in prayer and he says, you need to cancel your appointments tomorrow and take your kid out for ice cream, I don't think you want to miss the still small voice of God that just says, you need to get alone with me today. You don't want to miss the still small voice that says, you need to spend more time with your spouse this week. You don't don't want to miss if the father says, "I, I want to get to know I want, to, I want you to get to know me more and more. Start that. Start a regular, consistent practice of getting away and see how that reshapes your view of you, your view of your circumstances, your view of others, much less your view of him. Very early in my ministry, I started as a youth pastor, and two years in, I was exhausted, stressed out, burned out. I was doing all the wrong things, not consulting God very much along the way, and kids from the youth group came to me and said, Ron, you know what? I feel like we should be, as a group, praying more. I said, oh, that, that's a good idea. I, I should have thought of that. They said, we, we've got to pray. Let's pray for our friends that don't know Jesus. Let's, let's pray for our community. Let's pray for our families. Let's pray for our youth group. One of them had found this bracelet that said, push on it. And it stood for pray until something happens. And so they said, why don't we just start doing that? Why don't we start praying until something happens? And so several times a week, we, we just started gathering together just to pray until something happened. And we prayed like that for a month straight. And you know what happened? Nothing. At least that we could see. And then, to fast forward the story, four months into praying until something happened, 128 of their friends got saved by Jesus, began coming to the church. 90 of them, by the fifth month, got baptized. And God sparked a whole new thing in our group. And it wasn't, it wasn't about a strategy or a program. It was about stealing away and praying and seeking him. It wasn't about flexing our muscle as much as it was tapping in to the muscle of God and letting him do the work, letting him strengthen us and letting him strengthen our heart and our soul and guide and direct us to what we were actually supposed to be doing. 
And I want to pray for you right now that that would be the case for you. Would you join me? Father, thank you so much for every single person that's here. You know the, the crazy scope of what people are dealing with in here. Some things that are in their control, some things that are not. So Father, first and foremost, I pray that you would allow them opportunity today even to go get away in alone time with you. That you develop in them uh, both a desire and an ability to steal away, to experience your grace and your comfort and your encouragement, and then also to help them through your word and through a peace that you would give them about what they are to do and not do throughout their day. Big things, little things. Teach us, God, what it is to seek after you and get your input and get your perspective on our lives. That whether you've got a crowd in mind or one person in mind, a stranger in mind, a coworker in mind, a friend in mind, or a family member in mind, that we wouldn't miss what you've really got for us. And that we'd experience what it is to know that we are walking hand in hand on the mission that you've got, not just making up our own adventure. Father, we need your grace to that end. Allow even a moment here while we lift our voices to you and consider the lyrics here for let you to let you speak to our hearts and encourage us and guide and direct us even now. In Jesus' name. Amen.